Hey everyone, welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast presented by Nenny and Associates. I'm your host, Jim Schaefer. Now, if this is your first time tuning in, Nenny and Associates is an executive search firm focused on the building efficiency industry. That's why we named the podcast the way that we did. And simply put, we help our clients find the right talent. And each week we sit down with leaders from the industry to discuss their backgrounds, how they got started, and where they see the industry heading. We also get to know our guests and find out what drives them to be successful. And on today's episode, episode 25, we sit down with Wes Walker, who is the head of energy and performance services at Siemens for their smart infrastructure group. Our conversation went in a slightly different direction than I anticipated, but loved every minute of it. We, of course, cover how Wes got started in the industry, which was an unusual path, but it seems like it's really worked out well for him so far. We also cover how his business unit is addressing the current COVID pandemic from an air quality standpoint, a different perspective that I haven't yet heard. And we, of course, we close out the show with some wise words that Wes would give to his 22-year-old self. You don't want to miss out on that one. Now, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to our channel. And if you enjoy this episode, please share it and leave a five-star review. We think you're really going to enjoy this episode with Wes. So let's drop in. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast. Today, we're sitting down with Wes Walker, who is the head of Energy and Performance Services for Siemens. Wes, welcome to the show. Yeah, Jim, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's great to be on. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I'm glad we're able to uh, glad we're able to make this one happen. So, uh, so I know you're you're based up in in Chicago. How's everything looking up in Chicago nowadays? I keep hearing about the uh, the COVID cases and businesses getting shut down. And what, what are you seeing in your market? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 up and down. Uh, quite frankly, I think we had a we we benefited from a nice. Uh, uh, the amount of time there, we were kind of open, restaurants yeah. were booming, businesses were booming. And then, uh, yeah, Midwest kind of returned into a hotspot, which is uh, we're clamping back down. I think from a timing perspective, it's uh, it's, it's not not the greatest, right? We're heading into the fall, winter. So it uh, just kind of compounds the fact. But uh, yeah, we're working through it. Yeah, I got a trip planned to Chicago in the next couple of weeks. So I'm, I'm keeping an eye on it. But, yeah, uh, yeah, probably a good idea. Yeah. All right. So, so for our uh, listeners out there, for our audience who uh, who don't know who you are, Wes, can you give us an idea? Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So, uh, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm responsible for our, our energy and performance services business, which is really our ESCO business, and then our distributed energy systems business, and um, uh, that's in region Americas, which is Canada, uh, the U.S. and Mexico, and a little bit in South America as we as we grow our business. But uh, yeah, like from a background perspective, um, you know, I'm a Midwesterner, kind of uh, born and raised in Chicago. Spent a lot of uh, my uh, formidable years in uh, Northwest Indiana, and so graduated from Purdue, uh, Purdue Calumet, Northwest Indiana area in uh, engineering, and then um, kind of embarked in you know this space in some way. Eventually, I uh, ended up at Illinois State University, uh, where I got my MBA, really a focus on finance. And uh, yeah, for me, I think that was kind of where um, I wanted to, you know, my career changed quite a bit at that point, kind of got a taste for uh, the business side of things and recognized maybe I was a sweeter spot for me than just straight up and down engineering. So uh, yeah, that's sort of my uh, educational background. Um, it was a smart move. I think it was a smart move. Yeah, well, thanks. Um, <laughs> worked out well so far, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, we just, uh, we look at it, you know, from, from our viewpoint, you know, anybody who who has the smarts on the engineering side and also has the business acumen, I think that's, uh, that's always a, you know, a good combination to, uh, to grow in your career, which it sounds like you've obviously been able to do here at, uh, at Siemens. So I know you've been here for a while. I mean, could you walk us through maybe like how you got started at Siemens and then maybe walk us into the role that you're in today? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just kind of one quick comment, just I appreciate you saying I had the smarts to cut an engineering. It wasn't, you know, the GPA might not show that exact same story, but I-, I hey, None of that matters now. That's in the past. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, so I would say uh, pre-MBA, just post-engineering uh, school, uh, actually, it's kind of an interesting story for those of us who are in this industry. Um, I was uh, unemployed, right? start there uh, in, in, the, in the industry. I was actually working at a gym post-graduating from Purdue before I went uh, to uh, graduate school. I was working at a gym, like, you know, weightlifting gym uh, in North Indiana, Indiana, just trying to figure out how to make money, right, and uh, you know, pay my rent. And anyway, there was a guy that came into the gym uh, kind of first thing in the morning, every morning, like five, six days a week, uh, Kurt Minko. So probably many of your listeners probably know Kurt or have heard of, of Kurt. Um, you know, he's created, obviously, a successful business with RetroTech and evolved into other businesses. And so anyway, um, Kurt kind of saw me every morning, checking him in, let him, you know, into the weight, weight room, the gym, and uh, just kept to talking and said, hey, you know, you have an engineering degree. Have you heard of, you know, my, my company? Have you heard of the lighting and water business, the ESCO business? Of course, I was like, no, I haven't heard of any of that, but you're, you're speaking my language here about a job, right, in some ways. So, you know, Kurt uh, Kurt hired me uh, under his team. And so really for me, that was when I got exposed to the ESCO business. You know, prior to that, no working knowledge, knew nothing about it. And uh, honestly, I know it sounds maybe a little cliche or uh, cheesy, but it was an immediate fit. Like I was always kind of uh, into that, industry, energy, environmental services, you know, the environment, decarbonization. So for me, it was like, you know, I kind of found a home. So, you know, the why, the why I work was immediate. And so um, that's kind of how I got introduced to the ESCO business. And I, I know Kurt, I don't know if he's done a, a podcast like this. Um, if he hasn't, uh, if he's listening. Uh, this is his call out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you should, Kurt. I think uh, I'd love to hear from you and hear your story. I know it'd be, uh, it'd be inspiring and entertaining for others as well. So Kurt, if you're listening, you know, take the call, right? Um, but anyway, yeah, so that, that's how I landed in the industry. And then at Siemens, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, started in engineering. Um, I would say rather successful. Wasn't my kind of a sweet spot. Um, kind of worked my way up through management, operations management. But then post-MBA, really went into sales. And um, that's where it kind of clicked for me. Like, um, turned out I was okay at it in some ways. I could... That made sense, understand it, could use my uh, technical background. And then just kind of moved up, right? Sales management, area management, uh, larger zone, larger region. Um, found my way into general management, which was, um, I thought was a great role. I really, when I look back at my career, probably one of the most enjoyable roles. Kind of combined operations, combined engineering, combined sales, combined the business strategy side. And so I thought, you know, kind of, you know, hindsight, like, wow, that was, that was a great role. Really enjoyed it. And uh, was really productive. And then from there, yeah, I moved into corporate um, in our headquarters in Buffalo Grove and then just responsibility for the business. So I always say, you know, I've, I've, I've dabbled in like every aspect of the ESCO business, some successfully, some, you know, very questionable uh, in terms of my impact. Um, but really, I look at my role now in the company, it's, uh, it's hard to imagine how I could do my job today without all those little stops along the way. It really just kind of rounded out my experience. And uh, yeah, that was a... That's that's kind of my story, how I landed in the industry and then kind of working my way up to where I'm at today. Yeah. And is there anything that you're seeing just from um, from the Siemens standpoint, you know, as far as like what you're responsible for? And maybe we can look at it through the lens of uh, of COVID, right? I mean, how has that like impacted your business unit today? And like what adjustments have you guys had to make just in the last six or seven months? I know I'm going off script a little bit here, but uh, just curious to get your perspective on that. 
Yeah, no, it's, 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 I mean, how, how can you ignore that? Right. I mean, it's, it's just consuming all of us in our lives, personal lives and our yeah. professional yeah. lives. It's been, it's been pretty wild. I think, um, I, I've given similar, I've had similar discussions with other, whether they're, you know, federal legislators or local legislators or whatever it might be around the impact of COVID to the, all the energy business. I'm not talking about just utilities and production, but let's call it the energy savings business or sure. mechanical services, electric, whatever, whatever, you know, we're all in. It has been absolutely disruptive. And um, I, I was, you know, take the idea of energy as a business driver. People, people embark to save energy or save money associated with energy. They don't care. They don't care about it anymore, right? I mean, how do you care about it when you have this massive macro environmental force that is just weighing, pushing on all of us. Yeah. And so it's really taking a back seat. And I've, um, you know, it, it, it's been interesting. Like I, I, you talk about all the guidance that's coming out around COVID, right? How, people want to get back to work. People want to put their people back inside buildings, whether it's a school, a hospital or a commercial office building. And, and they're looking to the professionals to figure out how to do that, right? What is the guidance? What are the rules? What are the framework? And of course, it's changing every day. But if you really peel it back, this is where it gets interesting for us in our industry, I think at least. If you really peel back what the guidance is to get back safely into a building, almost every step along the way is detrimental to the energy business. It's almost working against us. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong. The guidance is absolutely appropriate. It needs to be followed for great reasons. But just take, if you don't mind, I'll give a couple of examples. Yeah, please. please. You know, tactical that many of us are dealing with. Take guidance that says, well, you have to flush out air in the system, blast you know, ventilation, you have to increase humidity, you have to add additional systems like ozone or other things to help kill the virus or decrease the half-life of, of the virus. Absolutely, you have to do that. But by themselves, almost every one of them consumes more energy, right? It actually works against the greater cause of saving energy. Um, and by the way, for our customers, all those, um, and for you and I, you know, as building owners, your home, or wherever you, they work against your budget, right? I mean, if you're going to, you, this is budget you don't have, you're already under revenue pressure, you're already under pressure from your, your customers, and now you have to, in essence, increase your own operational budget just to safely run your building, by the way, which you weren't planning for. And so, you know, take all that together, like, what does it mean for like us at Siemens or any other company that's in this business is, if you're just thinking about energy as its own sort of means and end, you're, you're missing the mark. Energy will always be a good end, right? We want to reduce it and, you know, reduce carbon emissions and all that good sure. stuff. Sure. We have got to start thinking about it more and more as a means to this different end, which is bringing people safely back to work. And uh, for us, I mean, some of that's just marketing, but a lot of it is actual technology. Like we've had to think about how do you, increase ventilation? How do you increase humidity? How do you do all this stuff, but not completely blow out everything related to energy efficiency, right? There has to be a way to do them both. And uh, it's just caused us um, to really rethink a lot of our products, rethink a lot of our services, throw some out, bring some new ones in. I mean, we've really had to press and push and stretch ourselves to, to meet it. And uh, we're doing it, we're meeting it, but still got a long way to go. Let's put it that way. Yeah, we've we've heard that for for a while, right? Uh, just the energy retrofit business. You know, I think a lot of ESCOs, a lot of companies, have been forced to move beyond just hey, we can save on your utility bills. It's almost like what you're talking about there is just kind of like accelerating what a lot of 
ASCOs have been faced with this entire time. So I think that's like that transitions nicely to, you know, one thing I'm always curious about, like perspective on the future. I mean, do you see this as happening? Like, hey, we just got to scramble and figure this, figure this thing out until COVID goes away. Or could this be an accelerant for what the rest of the future of the industry could look like? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, selfishly, I hope it I hope it, it's not a one off because we've invested a lot of time, resources, money, you know, brain power to, to make this sure. work. Um, and by the way, I think some of these things are just are really good practices. I mean, who wouldn't want to work in a building where it's fresh air and appropriate humidity? And by the way, you're disinfecting it. Like, yeah, I want to work there. That makes like good sense. Will it be at this extreme level? I don't know. I think for the ESCO business, your point is just spot on, right? I mean, it's been this kind of slow, gradual evolution away from the simple, we save money, we'll retrofit stuff, drop your costs probably improve the uh, built space and and we'll move on. I think the industry is is always going to continue to go through that. I think COVID will accelerate aspects of it and you know minimize others. Um, but I hope some of it sticks because I think it's it's good. And it, by the way, people don't often think of um and these I don't want to speak for you know broad brush all people, but the ESCO business as an example often isn't associated with high innovation, right? I mean it's still a lighting business and it's still a boiler chiller business and automation business, mm-hmm. but that's not really true. There is a ton of innovation that's being driven by ESCOs and companies around ESCOs, mechanicals, electricals that are in this industry. And so I think, you know, one really positive coming out of this, whether COVID, you know, the, the, the strategy stick or not is I think we're going to see a lot of innovation coming from this frontline industry that, you know, maybe historically isn't recognized. And that's a really good thing for all of us, in my mind. Yeah, and how do you square that? Because you were you were mentioning before, like, hey, it's going to cost more to do the things that we need to do to get people back in their in their facilities. So, how do you square that with the guarantee portion of it? Like, are the engineers just going to have to work overtime and, and look at different <laughs> different ways to to guarantee and hit hit these marks that you guys got to hit on the the traditional ESPC projects? Yeah, I mean, I hope not. I think I mean, when I look at it honestly. Well, we, you stretch the ESCO framework as far as you can, no question. But a lot of the stuff that you and I were just talking about, you know, um, really is being transacted, let's say, in the industry, not on an ESCO model. Sure. So companies like Siemens and many other companies that, you know, you guys, you know, or probably listen to this podcast, I would say the days of a single transaction are behind us. And so when, when I'm looking at a customer or our business is contemplating a, a large deal, it's not how do we shoehorn it into our performance contract. It's what are the multitude of pieces of paper we need to deliver the absolute biggest bang for the buck. That might be a performance contract plus a power purchase agreement plus just a purchase order. Just buy this piece of equipment and recognize your bills are going to go up. It might be as a service models that try to you know use AI or other complex algorithms to manage costs and savings altogether. And frankly, bundling them all together as sort of, don't worry about what they're called, the contracts are called, but as a program, that's the only way that this business is going to really thrive in my mind, because I think the ESCO model is great. It provides an awesome, you know, um, tool, but it's, 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 it's a tool and it should be viewed as a tool in the larger sort of toolbox. Does that make sense if I said that? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's um, that's a fascinating perspective. I think you touched on it with the power purchase agreements. The one thing I'm always curious about, especially your perspective, working for one of the major ESCOs, where do you see the evolution of of the public-private partnership, kind of the P3 model? And where is Siemens kind of viewing that moving forward? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, if you talk about another elephant in the room, right? I mean, it's it can't be avoided. You hear these huge deals that are happening, right? Uh, yeah, higher education space, mostly. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think it's not going away. And I think COVID is just going to exacerbate that, right? Because revenue yeah. endowments, whatever it is, right? The pressures are going to force, I would say, these public institutions to say, what can and should be privatized while maintaining our mission? No question there. How... We look at it at Siemens, though, is um, I would say a slice of that. Like um, ESCO is a core part of our business, will always be a core part of our business, but we're really investing a lot of our resources in this expanded portfolio, i.e. distributed energy systems, D-Boom, D-Bomb, power purchase agreements, P3, but not, I would say today, not at that grand scale because um, those are hard, those are complicated, and there's a lot of unknowns to them. And frankly, I think a lot of us in the industry are kind of waiting to see what happens. You know, I mean, 50 years is a long time. Yeah, that's a, that's a long contract. Yeah, you and I will be sitting back on a porch saying, I wonder if that deal ever worked out, you know? Yeah, 50 years. Right. Uh, so kind of, you know, our strategy at Siemens is really the, the idea, the uh, philosophy is great, but how do we kind of shrink it down? I.e., instead of buying out a 50 million or $100 million concession agreement, can we look at specific aspects of a customer's, um, say, utilities that are not sort of germane to their business? So I'll give an example. Take a hospital. What's their What's their mission? Right. Their mission is serving patients. Right. Bettering the community. Innovation in science. Whatever it is. I don't know. Right. But they have a central utility plant, mm-hmm. and that central utility plant is absolutely critical to providing that in the service. But it's not what their expertise and domain knowledge is in. So. Kind of our strategy is well, hey, why are you in the why are you in the chilled water business? You're in the healthcare business, right? Go go spend your capital on MRI machine or whatever, you know, virus detection systems, whatever it might be. And so let's in essence P3 that central plant. Much smaller. I mean, still could be 10, 20 million dollars, right? There's not small in the grand scheme of things, but you can put a box around it. You know what I'm saying? You could you could take out a map and draw a box around that portion of the building and say, you know what? This portion, let's P3 it, let's privatize it, and let's drive efficiencies and cost savings into it, and let's take that headache off of your books so then you can focus on what's important. And so, you know, we're spending a lot of our um, time and effort on that approach. That makes sense? Yeah, I feel like we could talk about this for for hours. It's been super, super interesting, but I wanted to transition to the the last part of the show here. There's the same four questions that I ask to to every guest who comes on. Wes, what are your daily non-negotiables? Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I think... uh, it's funny to think about that question. I think it's not as easy to answer um, as you might think. You know, I, I had to I had to kind of you know I have to think about that. I think, I mean, look, I have um, I would say non-business uh, not, you know non-negotiables, and I have you know some business ones, and and they overlap, but they're they're not the same. I think, you know, they're kind of kind of silly, I guess. But the the non-business ones are um, it's easy to sit in this chair I'm in right now for like twelve hours a day and just you know talk on video or talk on the phone and. So, so what I've, you know, so my core priorities now are just move my body, get exercise, get fresh air. I mean, you know, losing sight of that, it just bleeds into my business and um, I can see it, on, you know, on that. I would say 
I have four, um, I have four young boys, four young kids. And then of course I'm a beautiful wife who puts up with four young boys. It's a very stressful environment. Um, I'm very deliberate about my time with them, right? Mm-hmm. The escrow business is not a nine to five. The energy business is definitely not a nine to five. I don't know what it is, but it's not a nine to five. Sure. And so if I'm not deliberate with that, I miss a day, I miss a week, I miss a month. It's amazing. You look back and go, oh my God, what just happened? Like I just missed an entire season of life because I was busy doing something, right? That was obviously important, but yeah, just being really deliberate with that is is an important one. I think on the business side for me, it's it's kind of similar. I think um, the pressures of our business, the pressures of our customers, it's relentless, right? This is a very fast moving business. Um, it's high demand. It's 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 high intensity in a lot of ways, and it's really easy just to go 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 go, right? I mean, you can just go and do and never stop. And I think it's important for me that. I, I'm pretty, I would say I'm pretty good. Like I'm 80% there every day. I find time to just think that kind of sounds silly, but just making space in my day to think because the company pays me to think, right? I mean, I'm not out there turning wrenches. I'm not out there installing systems, right? Um, I'm paid to set the strategy of the business and manage the business, pull the levers to, to make it, you know, move forward and be profitable and grow and provide value. And, just finding time to like catch my breath and say like, what, what should I be focused on is, is something that I've over the years have gotten better and better at. And I can tell when I'm not doing it. And uh, yeah, those are probably my, probably my big ones on the non-negotiable side. Simple yet underrated. Uh, I mean, I, I try to do the same thing. I, I thinking side, even just pausing for four minutes seems like an eternity <laughs> yeah, sometimes right. in the middle of a day. Um, well, that's that's really good stuff there. So let's rewind the clock. You're graduating from college. I don't know if you're working at the gym at this point at, at 22, yeah. you're opening up the door for for Kurt to go in there and pump some iron. What what, did, what advice would you give to your 22 year old self? Yeah, well, first of all, it took me five years to get out of school the first time, so I was probably still in school at 22. <laughs> but I, I appreciate you again. All right, 23, 24, <laughs> early, early on. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. I appreciate the flexibility there. You know, I think, you know, besides the obvious, um, you know, eat better, exercise more, I certainly would have benefited from that. You know, I think um, looking back, like this idea of like taking risks, it's, it's kind of interesting when I, I talk about my boys a lot, you know, young kids. And I, I think I'm not talking about like going, you know, rock climbing or jumping out of an airplane, although that's interesting on its own. I think when I look back over my career, I've taken some really big risks and some of them have paid off. Some of them have been an absolute dumpster fire, right? And that's okay, right? But I've, I've taken some big ones that have gotten me to a point where I feel I feel good about you know my career and how, and how I've gotten here. But I also I could think back to a, a few, I'll say a handful of risks where in that moment, like I just couldn't do it, right? The downside of that risk seemed enormous, and looking back, it's like that wasn't even a risk at all. Like, I totally could have done that. I should have done that. Like, I was a single. I, you know, I lived in an apartment. I mean, there's no risks. I mean, I, I was working at the gym, for God's sake. But, in, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But I, I think back about, man, just just take some of those really big risks. I'm talking about business, again, not climbing rocks or jumping out of planes. Um, just because it would have been interesting to see what happened. And I think just, again, my family, those are kind of, uh, it's an under... A woven theme in my life with my kids, like, hey, you've got to find space to take these risks because the older you get, the more established you get, 
the real downside comes in at those points. So yeah, that's probably what I would. Yeah. You'll, you'll never achieve anything great without taking a risk, right? Look at all the people that have done something worth talking about in this world. I mean, there's, there's always going to be risk associated with it. Um, I wish I had that advice. And when I was 22, 23, I jumped out of a few airplanes. So um, (laughs) still, still here today, still walking, but uh, Wes, uh, next question here. What, what motivates you? What's get What gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah. I mean, mean, that's easy for me. I kind of touched on earlier, right? I mean, like, I believe in it, you know, like I, I believe in what we do. I, I, I really am a believer. It's, it's the greater good. And I think it's really easy to get excited or be motivated when you can see tangible results of your efforts. Right. I mean, we do things that literally have social value, right. Besides financial value and shareholder value and customer value, all that stuff. I think genuinely when we do our job right in our industry, like we impact, the world. It sounds kind of cheesy, but we literally make it better, cleaner environment, improve lives, better education, whatever it is. And for and so for me, like the why is just it's easy to be motivated. In fact, I was asked to give a um a talk to some PhD students at Ohio State, which is a bit painful for me as a Purdue graduate, but you know I went along with it because it was for the greater good. <laughs> and uh, you know, one of them asked a similar question, like you know, how do you deal with long hours and how do you balance work life? And I kind of thought about it and said, yeah, you know, I probably sacrificed too much on life for work, whatever. But it got me really thinking about, but I just believe in it. And I, I kind of gave the example, if I was doing something that I didn't believe in, it would be hard, you know. And my advice for them as kind of highly educated students who are entering the workforce is don't dismiss that just out of necessity. Like, you sure you need a job, go work at a gym. You never know what's going to happen, right? But don't like lose sight of the why because you know, you know, you live once again, it's kind of cheesy, but it, it matters a lot in your day to day. And it's a lot easier to stay motivated, stay productive, you know, stay excited if you, if you can kind of buy into the cause. So yeah, for me, that's, that's probably it. And last question here. What do you want your lasting legacy to be? Yeah. I mean, um, probably, probably some pretty common themes here. I think we all want to be someone who sort of moved the needle, right? We, we, we contributed, you know, don't just sort of uh, pass through life. I think that's important. Um, you know, from a community perspective, I think just want to be present, want to be someone who contributed, was active. Um, you know, my legacy will probably be behind my wife's legacy. I always always joke like she, we move somewhere, she puts down roots immediately. Like she's a fixture in the community. And I'm, you know, my 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 legacy is just going to ride her coattails, right? I mean, <laughs> which is fine. I mean, I don't I don't care, but. I mean, she, she was really engaged and like, she's someone of, of substance in our community. And, uh, I think when I look at like my legacy, like that's more important than almost anything. Right. I mean, she, she makes a difference locally, makes a difference in people's lives. And like, that's what I want. You know, I want to, I want to be like 50% of what she does and, you know, call it a day. So yeah, that's probably my legacy. Just, just move the needle, be present, you know, participate and it'll be a bystander. I think that's a perfect way to to wrap up the show here. So Wes, thanks for coming on. Yeah, yeah, great. I mean, I I love it, appreciate it. Thanks for having me and uh, enjoy talking to you. You got it. All right, there you have it. Episode 25 with Wes Walker. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcast. We hope you're sharing with your friends and colleagues as well. And one last thing that I would ask, if you have ideas for future guests from the industry that like to come on the show, please reach out to me. We'd love to hear from you loyal listeners. So until next time, 
I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.